So I learned a new term recently. Um, it's, a, it's a term from the youth culture, uh, specifically the culture of youth who watch anime. How many of you are familiar with anime? Okay, got some hands. Okay, anime is is a, is a art form. It is it is animated cartoons um, that originally developed in Japan and have crossed the Pacific, and now they're they're very popular here as well. So uh, at least with cool young people, I'm not cool, but I learned a term that the cool young people use, which is fan service. How many of you are familiar with the term fan service? Okay, so see. Some, some certain young people in my family know this. So, um, so I learned this term. Fan service is when, a, when an artist, when a creator, a creative type, um, does something to please the fans. It's not required by the, the story they're telling. They don't have to do this. Um, and it's not, it's not even necessarily in keeping with artistic integrity. It's sometimes it's just selling out or just doing something gratuitously for the sake of the fans. So the fans know that you love them. So let me give you an example. Um, some of us are old enough to remember Alfred Hitchcock movies. And you may remember from Hitchcock movies the way he would, in, he would appear in his movies in a cameo. So he might be climbing aboard a train carrying a, a bass violin or something like that. And it would just be a little cameo where the director appears in the movie. But as people began to enjoy looking for him in the movies he started moving them closer to the beginning because he found it was distracting. This thing he had to do now, because the fans expected it, was distracting them from the story, the suspense of the story he was trying to tell. So he began moving his cameos up to the first few minutes of the movie so that you wouldn't be distracted, and yet he he couldn't stop because the fans expected it. So that's an example of fan service. Um, fan service is the things you do, not because the story requires it, not even because you as an artist want to do it, but because... It's throwing a bone to the fans. So I learned this term, fan service, and um, the, the, there's all kinds of fan service. An example of fan service would be if you're watching a movie, you're watching a movie of um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you're just, you're just waiting until some point during the movie he's going to say, I'll be back, right? I mean, you just have to expect that. Even if he's running for governor, you expect him to say, I'll be back, right? So that's an example of fan service. Um, but so there's all kinds. There's cameos. There's there's shout-outs. There's there's tie-ins. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, but the one I want to talk about today is called intertextuality, which is uh, that's what scholars call it. I don't know what I don't know what anime watchers call it, but but scholars call it intertextuality. And the reason is um, uh, it's actually something that appears all over the place. Um, intertextuality is when one storyline connects with another storyline. The most, the most common way that this happens is with a sequel. You read Tom Sawyer, and then a couple of years later, they publish Huck Finn. And it's got some of the same characters appear in both books. So that is intertextuality. It's a, it's somebody from one text showing up in a different text. Um, uh, in the world of pop culture, an example would be uh, tie-ins. Um, so when I was a kid, there was a show called Adam 12, and it was introduced as a spin-off of Dragnet. So there was an episode where Joe Friday gave a stern talking to, um, in this case it was police officers for a change, he gave a stern talking to the two partners from the Adam 12 show. And then a couple of years later there was another spinoff, and so we're now in a firehouse and there's a bunch of paramedics sitting around the TV, and what program are they watching? They're watching Adam 12. Now that shows how dated I am. Some of you are younger than me and you remember uh, maybe uh, Laverne and Shirley, the episode where Fonzie shows up. Um, or 
Now, if you're younger than that, maybe you remember when Frazier uh, would have people from Cheers on his show. Or uh, in, in uh, the 90s, it might be um, Buffy showing up on Angel. Or more recently, I saw that, uh, that Supergirl and Green Arrow and um, The Flash are all appearing in the same episode or something. So we see this intertextuality, people from different storylines appearing in a single story. That is what, what scholars tell us is called is to be called intertextuality. And the reason I bring that up is because this is Holy Week. And Holy Week is awash in intertextuality. Holy Week is like a 17-lane highway with a 400-car pileup of intertextuality. It's like all of the illusions, all of the prophecies, all the things that have been set in motion from the beginning of God's story all collide in this week of weeks, this most important week in history. They are all over the place. And the reason is because this is the focal point. This is the center of human history. And the reason it's the center is because the most important thing that has ever happened, happened this week. And if you've been around church for very long, you know what the answer is. You know the answer is Jesus died on the cross, and then three days later he rose again on Easter morning. And I'm going to dispute that because that's not the most important thing that happened. That is how it happened. But the most important thing that happened is Jesus brought peace. Now again, if you've been in a church person, you may say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's Christmas. You've got it wrong. Christmas is peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, uh, sleep in heavenly peace, uh, we we know Christmas is the time of peace and sleepy little villages and babies not crying even though the cows are lowing or whatever they're doing. Christmas is peace. Easter is resurrection. Easter is when Jesus came to prove that there was life after death. But that's really not what Jesus did. Well, first of all, that's obviously not what Jesus did. But if Jesus came to prove anything, he failed because there's all kinds of people. There's skeptics all over the world who don't believe that Jesus rose. So if his purpose was to prove something, we would have to say it was a failure because he did not, he did not successfully prove it to everyone's satisfaction. So Jesus didn't come to prove anything. Jesus came to do something else. Jesus knew there was life after death and he came so that we could have peace. We could have peace with God and thus obtain the eternal life that God gives to the people that he loves. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, this Palm Sunday reading in Luke's account of the gospel. Now, interestingly, I'll give you an example, one more example of intertextuality before we get started. Um, if you read this passage, you'll notice there's not a word about palms in it. In fact, if you read out of the four biographies of Jesus, three of them don't mention palms. The only one is an intertextual reference from John's biography of Jesus, where John tells us that they put palms on the, that they wave palms around and put palms on the road in front of him. The others mention leafy branches and cloaks, as we're going to see today. So intertextuality, it's all through the Bible. But as we're going to see this week, intertextuality all comes crashing together here in this week of weeks. So if you've got your scriptures handy, let's go ahead and take a look at John 19, uh, Luke 19. It says, after he said this, what did he just say? He just talked about a king who showed up and slaughtered a bunch of people. So that's a happy back, back 
background for this passage. So Jesus talked about a king who um, showed up and uh, some people didn't want him, so he had them slaughtered. And he says, after he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and he said, go into the village ahead of you. We don't know which of those two villages, maybe even a third village that doesn't have a name. It's just a handful of buildings outside of one of those two. But he says, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and they found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Now, to us, we might just think, well, Luke's not the greatest prose stylist in the world. He keeps talking about untying the colt. We got that up front. We don't need to keep be reminded they're untying the colt. Why would he keep telling us five times about untying the colt? Well, for us, it could be any reason. Because we are awash in pop culture. But for the first century, the audience that Luke was writing his passage to and the audience in that crowd that day, they would have had one thing pop into their mind. We heard it earlier, the passage from Genesis 49, where Judah talks about tying a colt to a tree or a vine. Now, scholars are divided. What did what was Jacob talking about in that passage where he talks about Judah is going to have his his uh, his colt tied to a to a vine? They're divided about that. But what is clear is that everyone in this culture would have said, "I know a story about a guy who's got a donkey tied to a vine," and so by repeating it five times, the writer is cluing us into what Jesus is. Because what happens in that story where Jacob has tied his vine to a tree or tied his donkey to a vine? The very next verse says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So it's a way of, it's an artistic way of saying, hey, you know that story about the king, the scepter, the king who is going to have tribute from all nations? This is one of those great things God does. God makes all this stuff come together like this. So this strange little story that scholars aren't even sure what, what, what Jacob was talking about. But they say, the part we do understand, the scepter not departing, we get that. And they're saying, this is all tied together. Now, you may not be convinced. It's thin, right? We say it's thin. But the reason is because we have so much culture. We have TV sets. We have movies. We have the ancient works themselves. I mean, we, we, we were exposed at some point to Aesop's fables. We heard Aesop's fables. We heard our grandmother's stories. We watched TV last night. We are awash in culture. But for a first century audience, this was their story. And they repeated it over and over and over again. When you talk about untying a cult, everybody would have gone instantly to Genesis 49. And it seems thin to us simply because we have so much culture we have to pick from. We don't instantly go to that story. The scholar N.T. Wright, this book is so heavy I couldn't carry it. So um, he's got a book, he's got a five-volume series. I'm through 17% of, according to Kindle, I'm through 17% of number three, So, um, which is the one I started with. 
But I'm working my way through it, and I came across this quote. He's talking about this. He says, A major effort is needed to appreciate the readiness with which a first century inhabitant of the Greco-Roman world would pick up allusions to Achilles, to Odysseus, to Hercules, to the Trojan War. So he's talking about the Greeks would have picked up Greek culture. And he says about Jews that they knew these stories. I think, yeah, they knew these stories as well as today's Western culture knows the present state of various soap operas or indeed film franchises such as Batman or James Bond. So they would have known, they would have known the story about Judah and his donkey and his vine. So they would have said, ah, it's a king. It's fan service. God is giving me fan service because I know those stories and I see how they're all coming together now in Jesus. So he goes on. He says, he gets on the colt. They, they bring the colt back and, and they set Jesus on it. Um, there's so many things going on here that, that really I don't want to keep you here. You'd get tired of me if you're not already. So what I did is I put in the bulletin, there's a bunch of questions. You can dig into some of, some of them because they just pile up one on top of another. There's so many things going on in the scripture. So uh, what is going on briefly, if you'll just let me kind of cut to the chase, is Jesus is being given a kingly welcome. This is the way you welcome a king. But there's so many things coming together. The, the king whose scepter will not depart until the nations give tribute and so forth. There's so many things. I encourage you to look at some of those answers. But Jesus comes into town on the colt. And as he's approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the multitude begins screaming out. And you notice what they scream? They don't say, the one who's going to prove there is life after death. Because they don't care about life after death. Life after death is really not what they want. What they want is peace. And that's what they say. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That may have an echo to you. You may remember from the Christmas story. What is it the angels say? The angels show up. Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem. The angels appear to the shepherds and they say, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And now here, near the end of the story, it's a crowd saying, Peace in heaven. Angels say, Peace on earth. The crowd says, Peace in heaven. The loop is being closed right here. God is giving us, by His grace, God is giving us fan service. He's helping us see how all these things tie together. Jesus came for peace. One last evidence of that. The passage concludes as Jesus says the stones would shout out, but then he goes on and two verses later, Jesus weeps for only the second time in the scriptures. The only, the only, the two of, there's only two times in the scriptures Jesus weeps. Once at the grave of his friend Lazarus, but the other time is right now. Jesus is coming into town. He's he's going down the the slope of the the Mount of Olives. He's about to cross the Kidron Valley and go up into Jerusalem, and he begins to weep. And he says, "If only you, even you, had recognized on this day the things that make for peace." See, Jesus came and he suffered and he died and he rose on the third day, not simply to show us that there was life after death. Jesus showed us there was life after death as part of his big project, which was to bring about peace between God and heaven, between God in heaven and men and women on earth. Jesus came to bring peace. And maybe that's why some of you are here today. Maybe the reason you're here today is because you don't have peace. 
there are things in your life, there's, there's things in your history, there's, there's an event in your past that you are so angry about that you may never get over it. Jesus came so you could have peace. Maybe it's not anger, maybe it's guilt that you still can't think about it with any peace. Jesus came so you could have peace. But maybe it's something in your future. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe there's something you don't have any peace because you're anxious. What is what is the lab results going to show when you get them back? Maybe it's going to school tomorrow because spring break gave you a break, but you're going back to school and you don't have any peace. You're anxious because of school. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're saying, you know what? We're at the end of the first quarter. We're going to get the numbers early in April. And I don't know what's going to happen around here, but it's not going to be pretty. Maybe you don't have any peace because of something in your future. Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus was the king who came into town. And instead of being like that other king, the one who ordered a slaughter, Jesus announces peace. Jesus came to bring peace. Now, I know some of you have long since gotten this. Uh, some of you, it's like I, I picked up that, you know, I, when I was in eighth grade and I've never forgotten it. Jesus came so I can have peace and I have peace. Let me invite you to do something else instead. Start looking for fan service. Start looking at your life where you have such peace for fan service. Start looking for places where God is tying things together, where God is connecting the dots for you in a way that helps you to see what he's doing to see the big picture. Jim Bergen tells a story about this cult, this mysterious cult. Everybody argues, what is the significance of that cult? We know it's tied up with with Jacob and his blessing on Judah, but what was the original significance? No one knows. Everyone argues over the cult. But since there's no answer, there's nobody in, no, no place in Scripture where we see the cult has the following meaning, people are free to kind of speculate. So Jim Bergen, one of my... One of my um, pastor uh, uh, guru types that I listen to, he, he tells a story. He says, he says, imagine in that village, whichever village it was, there's a man there who's who's has no peace. Maybe it's because he's guilty. Maybe it's because he's angry. Maybe it's because he's bitter. Maybe because he's anxious. For whatever reason, that man has no peace. But something, something has happened just in the last day. And he's about to give up. And he hits his knees, maybe for the first time in years. He says, God, just just tell me if there's any hope. Just show me a sign, Lord. Show me a sign that there could be some hope for me to go on. And as he's making that prayer, his wife is standing at the window, and she goes, what are those guys doing to your colt? And he goes outside and says, what are you guys doing with my colt? And they say, the Lord needs it. It's not in the Bible it's just made up story. But the Bible shows how these things are all interconnected. And maybe they're interconnected in your life as well. Maybe there's places where God has tied things together in a way where you could say, wait a minute, I know that story. I'm in that story. Wow. God has included me in a sequel to that story I love so much. So let me invite you just... Look for fan service. Look for places where God has thrown you something. Not because 
it's needed for the story, not because it's part of God's artistic integrity, but simply because he loves you and he wants you to know he's glad you're enjoying his story. Look for that. And if you don't have peace, we have we have candy and we have rabbits and we have grass. We have all the, the accoutrements of, of Easter coming up. And we'll talk a lot about death and resurrection. But death and resurrection is the how, it's not the what. The what is that God came to give us peace. God came so that we could have peace in heaven and peace on earth. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have scattered these these uh, fan service items all through the scriptures so we can see that Jesus was not just a, a, a random individual walking through history, but he was part of the the confluence of all these things. He's the, the, the intersection of all these threads that run through history. And Lord, we pray that we would have the peace that he came to offer us, that you would give us peace knowing that what he did was sufficient, that it takes away everything that has hurt us, everything that we have done to hurt others, and that you will be with us no matter what the future holds. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see those threads as they run not only uh, from distant past up to the cross, but where they run into the world today, even in our own lives. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.